We wanted to start this series off with the whole concept of obedience because I am convinced that if we are not obedient as Christians, and we will go into this, it's not about your salvation. But if we are not obedient, if we are not allowing, if we are not plugged into the vine and allowing his power to flow into us, I'm going to borrow the Apostle Paul's words, we are to be more pitied than men. If you have prayed to receive Jesus and you're not obedient, you're not doing what he called you to do, you're not being who he's made you, you'll be miserable. I am convinced that a lot of the atheists around in the world who, by the way, are people that grew up in the church many Now I just lost sound there. There, I'm back. I think part of the problem is because they are part of who God has called them to be and they're not being obedient and so they're miserable and so they take it out on everybody, especially fellow Christians. So I'm just saying to you, if you're sitting there in your pew and you've had sin, recurring sin, recurring sin in your life, if you've been struggling with your soul just not feeling right, you've got some soul wounds that just haunt you and give you a lot of trouble, let me encourage you, listen carefully to the scriptures today. I think this might be a new start and a new journey for you. So as I was listening to God about obedience, these scripture words came to my mind. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. As I heard those words, I thought, okay, what does that mean? I don't fully get it now. I want to step aside here of me listening to God just to say that whenever I do listening prayer with God, The first question I always ask if I feel I've heard something from him is, is it biblical? And so the easiest and simplest thing is to go to the text in the Bible, or if you know of a text that kind of backs up what God's asking you to do, then look up the passage. So I did that, and I went to Zechariah chapter 4. Because I wanted to know what was the context, not by night, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, it's a really interesting book, Zechariah. Zechariah was a minor prophet. And it was during a time when Israel had been in exile, and they had just returned to the promised land. So these are a broken down people in a broken down country. There isn't much power, much effort, or anything that really could sustain them. And so as I was reading through the text, I recognized and I saw Zechariah had this vision that he's given. And in this vision, there's basically, I'll unfold it for you, There's this great big pot or container full of oil. And flowing from this container of oil are these little channels, and these channels are flowing to these lamps. And these lamps have a light on them. In other words, they have a flame on them. But their source of power, I mean, each individual lamp, sure enough, it's, it's, it's a lamp-looking feature. It's got a light, it's got a wick, but its source and its power comes from the great big pot of olive oil. And then an interesting thing as Zechariah is wondering or pondering this, 
He says to the angel, what does this mean? I don't get it. What in the world is this all about? Now, let me read the entire verse of response from the angel to Zechariah. Listen carefully. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a leader in Israel at that time. And he's about to rebuild the temple that's broken down. And the angel says this word to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, and you might remember some of the original builders in Israel, like King David. King David is known as one of the richest nations in all of the Middle East at that time. So, I mean, David, it was fairly simple for him to start to build stuff. But, I mean, hearkening back even a little bit to when the wall was originally built, sure enough, or, or rebuilt, it isn't by might or power. It really took, it, it, in other words, we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We, we can't do what God's called us to do. Some of us sometimes have the resources, and, oh, I remember that. Chinese pastor, you've probably, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it sure makes sense. Chinese pastor touring American churches, and the tour guide says to him after four or five churches, so what do you think of the church in America? And the Chinese pastor says, I'm amazed how much you've been able to do without God. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So as we move into this whole idea of living like Jesus, I want you to get this really fully implanted in your mind. It is not your might, it is not your power, it is not your transformation that you've achieved or that you've done. What it really is, is God flowing in you. And it's really important to get that into our minds or we're going to be in deep, deep trouble. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. In other words, God is the source. And whatever you're about to partake in obedience... It is his presence and his power flowing in you. So today we start a series on living like Jesus. And please keep that thought in your mind. But as I was going through the whole conversation with God, it begs, I think, a really important question. If there is a source of power... And if there's these channels that can flow to us, <coughs> I have allergies, not COVID, then how do we position ourselves? How do we get into the place to receive God's power in our lives? And it's really simple, people. The short answer is it's about lining up and receiving him. And the very first step that you need to make is you must be born again. I couldn't start a sermon like this. I couldn't start a series like this without implying that. Now, we went over this last Sunday. In fact, as I wrote this sermon and I started pondering it on Thursday night, I said to the Lord, it sounds a lot like last Sunday's sermon. And God goes, yeah. And I said, but it's kind of repetitive. God goes, yeah, what's the problem? And I said, okay, I know my heart and what it's like, and I do need to hear things twice. So here we go. You need to be born again. John 3, 16, or John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Uh, we have this guy, Nicodemus, a religious leader, very high up. And he sneaks in to see Jesus in the evening because he doesn't want to be seen. And he walks up to Jesus, and he says to him, what must I do? 
to be saved. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he goes on to explain some very interesting things. Jesus answered, verily, truly, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And of course, Nicodemus says, I gotta go back in my mother's womb. He goes, no. You need to be born of the Spirit. And that's, of course, where we get John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is really simple. The first step in lining your soul up to receiving the power of God is that you need to say, I am in need of a Savior. I am a sinner and I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need transformation. I mean, over and over, Scripture, from the Old Testament right to the book of Revelation in the New Testament, it describes this beautiful thing, this, this heart of stone that we have, this rebelliousness that we have, this, this propensity to sin that we have. And it talks about that when God comes into us, when we say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, this heart of stone, this rebellious heart, is transformed into a heart of flesh, a breathing, living actually receiving the presence and power of God flesh. You may or may not be aware that Christianity is probably one of the only, and I'm not saying it is for sure the only one, but the only religion that has salvation for free. In other words, and as I had so many other verses and I don't have lots of time so I can't give them all, but I mean, Ephesians chapter two is so super clear about this. You cannot work for your salvation. It's, it's free, it's, it's, it's given by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus died on the cross, not to just get you started in the journey, but he died on the cross to get you finished in the journey. It's about your transformation. It's about you having a different way of thinking. You, you move from a self-centered selfishness into a selfless giving sense. And so many Christians, are our old nature and our old man and the way that we used to be, especially when troubles come, especially when we get stressed out, we slip back into the old patterns of the way we used to achieve things, whether it's by greed or, or fear or, or flight or whatever it might be. And we go back that way, and the truth is it makes us miserable because God has now wired you to be generous, to be kind, to be loving. When you allow anger and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness to come rolling into your heart, it will make you miserable as a Christian. And let me tell you, right here and right now, if you're miserable as a Christian now, there are some mental health issues that are kind of a side issue on this. If you're struggling with some really serious mental health issues, uh, some of this stuff probably will help, but it won't get you to where you need to go. Get some counseling, get some healing. You know, you need to do that. But if you're a Christian and you're, you're leaning into the old nature, uh, you're putting on the old nature instead of putting it off, and you're not putting on who you are in Christ now, the changed person you are, you will be miserable. And Christianity is one of the only religions that says this is free. All you gotta do is line your life up to receive that beautiful channel of blessing. And then after you're born again, the faith or the, the word of God, and 
<laughs> I was probably, when I came out of Bible college, one of those theologians, call myself that, I was young, so I will say I've been corrected and transformed since then, but I, I kind of had this impression, well, I, I almost went to the point where grace was so cheap that I could live my life as much as I want. I mean, I didn't, I tried to live for Jesus, but I thought, well, if I make a few mistakes and sin a little bit, it's not a big deal. Jesus will cover all that. And, and believe you me, his grace is sufficient for you. But if you start sinning just so that you can receive more grace, oh, Romans 8 has something to say about that. Romans 7 especially. You know, read it and see. Again, bounce everything off through the scriptures. And once you're born again comes another important step. And this step is really simple. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to be who you are in Christ. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you actually read your Bible. And you actually spend time listening to God saying, God, what is the Bible saying to me today? Uh, God, is there any scripture verses you want to bring to mind? God, is there any sin in my life that I need to work through with you right now? That's talk. That is about obedience. That's about who you are in Christ. So secondly, and this isn't really a second step because the only step you really need is Jesus, but I, I had to put it, I'm a preacher, I gotta have points, so I have point number two. We need to put off our old self. And we need to put on our new self, Ephesians chapter four. Now, remember, Ephesians is such a great book. And Ephesians chapter two is really clear that you're saved by faith, not by works. And then you get into chapter four and it says these, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Anybody watch the news lately? I mean, I just sit there, I'm, I'm just so shocked, you know, Netflix. They, they put this movie on that's trying to argue that, that, you know, women and young girls are being sexualized, and then they do these gross scenes in order to make the point, and then I go, don't you see it? These are, this is gross. And they justify and rationalize, well, it's got a good point, though. No, it's gross. So our evil desires are being corrupted. Our, we're being corrupted by our deceitful desires. To be, and we are to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self. It, it's sort of like taking your old self, the clothing, and throwing it in the closet and putting on that beautiful robe of Jesus. Oh, I heard a really good one by a friend of mine down in Chilliwack. And he said, Satan knows your name but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by name. You see, when you're born again, you need to put off who you used to be, and you need to put on Jesus. We need to be like Jesus, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12 explains it this way in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. Now, this is the cross. This is Jesus dying on that cross for your sins. This is him giving up everything, his career, his life, his worldly possessions, everything. And the blood flowed out of Jesus in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you come to church. I think we sang two songs and we heard a third song. 
that's not, I mean, that is, we call it worship, but your worship is actually your life to Jesus. When you look at the cross and you go, oh my goodness, what did you do for me? I mean, if you've never been moved, whether, oh man, I, I remember when we did our set free retreat last year. We have this section where we talk about the cross and we nail our sins to the cross and we show a video scene of the actual event of Jesus being nailed to the cross. I don't know anybody in the room that had a dry. If you haven't had a moment like that, then you don't get this. But if you realize what Jesus gave up for you, in view of God's mercies, offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. This is, don't, you know, we need to realize what the patterns of the world are, and we need to put them off. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You spend time with Jesus. You, you align yourself often so that you can hear from him in his word and him speak to you personally about sin and things that you need to get right. And as you line yourself up, as you renew your mind, then, listen to this, then you will be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Then you will be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Did you know that when you are in his good, pleasing, and perfect will, it doesn't matter what's coming about, when you've lined up to that beautiful, great big olive oil source of power and strength, the heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit deep inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Doesn't matter what comes about. Stephen being stoned, he was okay with that. If you're making a million dollars, Jesus is blessing you and he's giving you those blessings so that you can bless others. Jesus is okay with that. When you walk in God's will, it is amazing how it feels. Doesn't matter what you're going on. His good, pleasing, and perfect will, it just begins to flow in you. And don't confuse good, pleasing, and perfect will doesn't mean that you're gonna have, whoa, I like Porsches, I like Volkswagens, doesn't mean I'm gonna have the newest. Doesn't mean that at all. But it means where I'm at. When I'm obedient to him, it's gonna feel good. In the process of renewing our minds and allowing our lives with God to get his power, then we can begin to hear him through testing and approving to find his will. If you think maybe you're sitting here right now this morning and think, wait a minute, pastor, I've been a Christian a long time. I've kind of gone as far as I could go. I want you to listen to this passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, a little kind of anecdotal observation. We as a church did Hearing God last year and 400 people went through it. Now, we had lots of avenues, and that's part of why so many went through it. We did it through life groups. We did it through uh, some teaching I did here at the church. And so that's part of why we had so many. But did you know when we did Set Free, this is about confessing sin and getting right with God. This is Seven Steps to Freedom from Neil Anderson. When we did Set Free, we had about 60 of our people show up. Now, it, it was on one weekend. It's hard for everybody to come. It was one big event. I heard, anecdotally, people were terrified of confessing their sins to other people. But I find it really interesting that when it comes to confessing sin and obedience, 60 of our church people came as opposed to 400 that wanted to hear God. 
And I want to say you cannot divorce the two. You cannot divorce hearing God from confessing your sin and being obedient. You can't separate it. And I just want to encourage you, man, <laughs> we've got to confess our sins. And if you don't think you have any sin, you're not having the truth in you. It's really clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this really breathes this relationship thing with God that we've been talking about for a long time. And in fact, we are told in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit who is in you, when you actually stop and you say, is there any sin in my life? He loves you so much, you're probably going to hear something. Because I can tell you at my age, and I have purified a lot in my life, I'm walking more like Jesus than ever before, but I still have sin that I'm dealing with. And that's where his grace comes in. Again, he doesn't know me by my sin, he knows me by my name. But this really breathes relationship. The Holy Spirit will search our hearts. He will reveal any wickedness. <coughs> yes, I coughed into my hand and not my elbow. I, I'm like a pterodactyl, I can't get to my elbow very good. I have really short arms. Okay, that's my excuse, I'll leave it there. The Holy Spirit will search our hearts. He will reveal any weakness. Sin in our lives is not lining up to receive his power. Did you hear that? Sin in our lives is not lining up our pathway to receive his power. Honestly, I've gotten to the place now when I'm praying this prayer. Usually it's at communion or other times, almost every day. And God reveals the sin in my life. I confess the sin. And then I actually say, here's what I think I can do this week to help not go there. Would you help me, God? You know, if I'm bitter and angry at somebody, and they especially know that I'm bitter and angry at them, I'll say, okay, God, I forgive. Please forgive me for being bitter and angry at um, Michael for revealing my sermon. And then I'll say, okay, I'm going to go to him afterwards and say, I, I am so sorry that I was bitter and angry for doing that. Would you forgive me? I mean, we're going to get to that moment here. We're going to have communion. And I, I want you to understand that it is very clear that we're to take communion by examining our hearts. And you don't have to wait to take communion if you can't make something right. You can, you can say to God, I, I confess my sin and I got this plan. I'm going to go talk to that person or I'm going to go give back what I stole or I'm going to go, you know, and you can take that next step. Are you aware repeatedly sinning and not confessing your sin to God hinders your prayers? I mean, this really came home to me, I think, six months ago through some of the church renewal material that I've been going through. I've been praying for some family to come to Christ. I pray for my four children and grandchildren all the time. I pray for my wife. I pray for my finances that God will bless me enough that I can do what he's called me to do. And all of a sudden, this verse, John 9, verse 31, hit me like a ton of bricks. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly person, to the godly person who does his will. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now, some could argue, well, that's talking about those that are before Christ. They haven't come to Jesus yet. But listen to this, he listens to God, the godly person who does his will. This is about obedience. This is about following him. 
I raised four children and I can tell you, if one of my kids never spoke to me and disobeyed everything I ever said to them, now they've all moved out and so I don't have much input in their lives and I try not to. But if they were living in my home and they never listened to me and they were always disrespectful to me and they never, I'm not gonna give them the blessing of living in my house. I mean, I might still feed them and give them a bed. But even at that, if they disrespectfully show up late for all the meals, I'd just say, sorry, you missed the meal. You can get it tomorrow morning. I mean, I, I care enough about my children's hearts. I don't want them to be selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, and all the other great big fancy words. I want them to be kind, caring, loving, followers of Jesus that are obedient to him and, and loving each other and loving others. And so as a father, would I just keep throwing blessing on them? Well, some people today do that. And you see where that goes. Did you know the fall of the Roman Empire? Some historians will say it's because the children were so spoiled. I mean, they couldn't even get Romans to fight their own battles anymore. They had to hire mercenaries, and that became a problem in and of itself. They became so self-centered, all about me, all about my privilege, all about what I deserve, all about who I am. I am the father or the son of so-and-so. And think about it in God's point of view as you're his child. You're living like the devil. You're living like that old nature. You haven't even tried to put on the new nature at all. You don't even know what the new nature is. What would God do for you? He loves you and me so much that he's going to slowly say, okay, <laughs> you can go to bed without supper tonight. Or, uh, oh, were you praying for something? Did you ask for something, Anthony? Oh, you got a lot of sin in your life. It's eating you up. I can't really do a lot for you right now. To line up with God, we need to be born again, and we need to be living our Christian life. Now, I'm going to finish with just one story, and then we're going to go to communion. I have told this story once before, and, but I think it's been years and years and years. The guy that died in the plane crash I was in, his name was Mark. I got to know Mark when I was in Bible college. I think I was a junior, so my third year. Mark was a seminary student, and he was in a Master of Divinity program, and he was in his first year. And uh, anyway, long story short, got to know him quite well. Our families became very good friends. And uh, in one of our conversations, I asked Mark, where did you grow up? And he said, oh, I grew up in St. Catharines. I think it was St. No, it was London, London, Ontario. And I said, oh, did you grow up going to church? And he goes, oh, yeah, I grew up in a Baptist church. And I'm like, oh. And I said, so when did you become a Christian? Well, I was 30 years old. And I said, well, you grew up in a Baptist church. How could you not become? Oh, he goes, my, my Baptist church wasn't a Christian church. And I said, what? You're kidding me. No, no, no. It was just all about rules in that church. They was just about don't do this, don't do that. They never talked about Jesus. So I just happened to be talking to my mother-in-law and I was telling her about this friend of mine, and she goes, well, that's weird. And she asked me, what's the name of that Baptist church? And I forget what the name was. And I found out for her, and I said it was such and such Baptist church. And she goes, I actually went to my nurse's training in London, Ontario, and I went to that church, and I can tell you that every Sunday they had an altar call to receive Jesus. And so I thought, well, that's kind of weird. So then I contacted my friend, or I was having lunch with him or something, and I said, the Baptist church you grew up in was a Christian church. I, I said, maybe something happened to it in the preceding years. So he went and talked to his father, 
who now was attending Elias' church, so obviously he had to be okay, right? And he said to his dad, Dad, I grew up in this Baptist church with you. I never once heard the gospel preach. All I heard was rules. And his dad said, well, that's funny, because every Sunday we had an altar call for people to receive Jesus. And so I remember asking my friend Mark, how could you have missed it? How could you have missed the grace of Jesus? He goes, well, I don't know. I don't know how I missed it. He said, I I got confused in my thinking, my theology, and, and legalism crept in. And he thought he had to live a certain way to be a Christian. And that's called getting the cart before the horse. When he turned 18, he walked away from the church because he said, I can't do it. I can't live perfect enough. At 30 years old, he attended uh, our President Dave Hearn's church in Toronto, president of the Alliance. And Dave gave an altar call, and he explained the gospel, and Mark went forward, prayed to receive Jesus, and his heart was changed from stone to flesh. His, his whole lifestyle, he began to understand that it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's, it's nothing I can do. And he began to grow and prosper. He went to seminary. He was going to go into ministry. He was in a plane crash and died, unfortunately. But he got the thing straight and right finally. So how in the world does this happen in our churches? How do we not understand that it, it is the, the channel, the olive, the, the power, the flowing? It comes from God, and it comes from believing in Jesus, and it comes from putting off the old. I mean, that's gone. That's old. We have a habit of jumping back into the old life. You know what I mean. Like when you feel stressed, you want to light up a cigarette or grab a Ryan Coke. Because you're stressed and you want to realize, that's the old nature. That's a way of coping without God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to the bad things, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is putting on the new life. And I ask you this morning, where are you at? Are you in this legalistic bent that my Christianity is based upon how I live? It isn't. That was done on the cross. It's finished. When Jesus says, it is finished and died, he meant it. You are now a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. So quit living and acting like you used to. And start living and acting as God. And this is the cool thing, as God has changed you to be. And the cool thing is, the Holy Spirit has come and he's inside of you. He is your counselor. He gives you power. The lie of the devil is, I can't get away from this. I can't stop doing this. Oh, you've got some habits, granted. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit is in you, and you can overcome. And if you spend time in the Word, if you spend your time in prayer on your knees, and when you say to God, oh God, reveal in me any wickedness in my heart, and God says, oh, well, wait a minute, there's this thing. And you say, okay, I want to deal with that. And there are some sins that embed so deeply, especially if they've embedded when you're a child. Your soul, your patterns, they can get so deeply embedded. And it takes a little bit, and we have some beautiful sexual freedom stuff, by the way, and so many people that are in bondage to pornography or other things, it often has a root in their childhood, and it can be really hard to route out, but I can tell you, Elmer Spilchin will tell you, he heads up some of those ministries, 80, 90% of men and women will find freedom. 
And the other 10, 20%, they just can't seem to get it into their heads that when Jesus died on the cross, the source of power is there for them. And it's about renewing your mind, about transforming your heart, about being who you are in Christ. And that takes a little bit of teaching and understanding. Or you could end up like my friend, where the gospel was preached, but he never heard it. All he ever thought was rules and legalism. As we go through the Live Like Jesus series, please know, please know it's about aligning your life to God to receive his power and to walk in him. So in conclusion, are you born again? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then secondly, Over and over, the scriptures talk about walking in the spirit. Are you walking in obedience to God this morning? 1 John 2, 1, oh, it's so wonderful. My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. And if you've read chapter one of 1 John, I remember the first time I studied and read it, I was in first year of Bible college and I was so overwhelmed, I cried and said, oh, I can't be saved. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Friends, it's about a relationship with him. It's about an infilling of the spirit. It's about hearing his voice. It's about letting his word transform you. I have seen over and over in hundreds of people's lives that when they go through a rising above session in Grand Prairie, you can go and make an appointment, pay a little bit of money and go through a session, or through a set free weekend, which we are hoping to do this coming February, or a soul care conference, like I'm talking, like even the seven steps of freedom from Neil Anderson, I remember one girl, this is back in my first pastorate in Tumblr Ridge, she had so much conflicting, she had demonic interference, she had sins of the flesh that were just overwhelming her, and I remember taking her through a three or four hour kind of confession, repentance, cleansing process and I phoned her up the next day and I said so I'm just curious how are you doing and I'll never forget these words she said to me she said it was the weirdest thing now the church we had in Tumblr Ridge it's the current Baptist church kind of out of town a little bit or on the edge of town so she decided to walk home it was a warm summer day she said for the first time in my life I heard the birds singing is that you to say Are you so conflicted that you can't hear birds singing? Oh, friends, there's freedom. Freedom for you. There's power. There's a a channel from God. There's there's a, 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 a base stock that you need to, as a branch plugged into the vine. And this morning we're going to do communion. I have to go down here. When you came in the doors, you hopefully were given a communion cup, and if you pull them apart, on the bottom is the bread. And if you didn't get one of these, I have a couple of elders that are coming in, and if you just put up your hand, they'll give you one. You might have snuck by our sentry at the doors. So just put up your hand.
Now, if you're wondering, this is all kind of kind of new to me, Pastor. You've just quoted a few verses, but you know, all over Scripture, all over the New Testament, because then I remember I told you I was this kind of Calvinist, hyper-Calvinist that kind of made grace cheap, and I kept running into passages that would say, you know, don't do this or do that, and I'd be going, oh, wait a minute here. I, I thought I was saved by Jesus. I, I didn't think I had to do anything more, and you don't. But I am now a follower of Jesus, and I need to live a certain way. And in fact, when you look at the things in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the little epistles and the other small little books, the book of Revelation, as you're reading through them and you come across lists of things you should do, it is really just describing who you are. It isn't a legalistic thing that's saying, okay, if you don't do these, you're doomed. What it's saying is this is who you are, so start acting like it. And if you don't, you're going to be miserable. So it's interesting, as Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is describing communion now, he's describing how they were doing it in an unworthy manner. They weren't recognizing the body and blood of Christ. They were in these big love feasts. Some would come in and eat all the food, and others would come later and wouldn't get any. And then after he kind of goes through how you take communion, after that he says these words. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Everybody ought to examine themselves. So everybody got your elements? And I've told you this before. You'll notice if you look in the juice, you're going to see a reflection. You're going to see it poorly. <laughs> and that's such a description of the way it is right now. But I want you to look into that juice, and I'm going to pray. And more than ever, I have come become convinced that God speaks. And we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God, is there any sin in my life? And you're in the quietness of your mind, you're going to confess that sin. And you might even say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an appointment with Pastor Elmer. I'm going to go see so-and-so because my bitterness towards him, and we've had this ongoing fight. And you're going to make things right. But you're going to confess it first, and then you're going to make it right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am convinced that everybody here that's born again has the Holy Spirit in them. And the language that the scriptures describe, that, that Jesus described, that the Holy Spirit would be our counselor. Oh, that just cries out relationship. And so, Heavenly Father, would you reveal in us any wicked way in our hearts, any rebelliousness which is described like witchcraft, any anger or bitterness. I, I think of all the sins of the flesh that we went through last week. Oh God, reveal anything like that in us. Because we want to take communion and we want to take it with the blood of Jesus washing us. We want to be hooked into that channel of olive oil, that, that source of power. We want to take this communion in view of God's mercies, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. We want to be obedient to you because you love us. You don't call us by our sin, you call us by our name. Oh, what a beautiful picture. So reveal to us as we spend one minute 
letting you <laughs> comb the depths of our heart to see if there's any sin. Heavenly Father, as we have obviously had some sin revealed, we quietly confess that sin to you. And uh, God, some of us may have to revisit this later this afternoon to come up with a bit of an action plan. But we're gonna put off the old nature now. And we're gonna wrap ourselves in that beautiful robe of Jesus that washes us whiter than snow. Oh God, thank you that you loved us first and you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now if you take your cups apart, the bread is on the bottom and we will work on that first. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Heavenly Father. <laughs> I give thanks for this body, this bread that represents Jesus' body that was given up for me. And I wanna shout out loud, it is finished. I am something different, something new. Thank you, in Jesus' name I pray. Let's partake together the bread. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, Heavenly Father. We remember in view of God's mercies, we remember and we offer our body as living sacrifice and Jesus' blood is sufficient. There's nothing I can add to my salvation. And in relationship, we hopefully took one little step closer. And oh God, may we hear the birds like we've never heard the birds before. May we feel joy and peace and love and gentleness and all the fruit of the Spirit, oh, flow in us as we line our life up to that beautiful channel. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Let us partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Would you please stand with me? If you need prayer this morning, please come to the altar. We will have uh, people standing. Well, we have one so far. Somebody will probably come down to this side. And I'm available here too if you wanna just come down to the front and you wanna just confess some sin. Uh, just come on down. Uh, you're thinking, man, I gotta take this thing really seriously. And there is something powerful. When James talks about confess your sins one to another, it is powerful. And uh, so don't be afraid to do that. If you've been struggling a long time with something, uh, and hopefully us on the front can give you some help to help you overcome that so you can break that cycle of defeat. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Fellowship in peace.